Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Greetings, artists and art lovers. Welcome to Not Real Art, series favorite creative culture podcast. I'm your host, Sourdough, and today I'm joined via Skype with the one and only David Ryan Scott. Now, David is a dear friend, and I wanted to have him on the show because he's a true creative polymath, a true renaissance man. He's written books, he's written poetry, he's written music, he's an artist, and he's one of these uh, people that is multi-talented and he's always creating and producing and doing really beautiful things. And lately he's been focused on doing a lot of woodworking and leather craft, making beautiful objects, handmade objects, such as lamps and briefcases and wallets and knives and bags and boxes and just these beautiful objects. You'll have to look on the website for uh, some photos of these beautiful objects. But I want to welcome to the show today, David Ryan Scott via Skype. What's up? What's up? How are you, sir? So far, I'm doing well. Yeah, so, it's, uh, you're back. It's nice to find a nice sunny day out here in uh, in in the mountains of of Indiana. So it's all good. Excellent. Now, where exactly are you located? You're not too far from Chicago, correct? Yeah, we're about 50 miles uh, east of uh, of the city, just right on right on the the fringe of of Lake Michigan. There. So yeah. Excellent. Right in the Great Lakes region of our big country. Right in the right in the heartland there. Yeah. Heartland. Exactly. Well, uh, I know that area well because you and I grew up in the same area. In fact, uh, we've known each other a very long time. So I think we met originally in the summer of 1989, so that dates us a bit. But uh, you haven't uh, disowned me yet, so I'm grateful to have you on the show today. <laughs> See how the rest of the show goes. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, you and I have been chatting uh, for a while about uh, uh, doing this and, and chatting and discussing your artwork and and uh, the many projects that you have. I think you're kind of a classic example of so many people out there who, you know, they have a quote unquote real job that pays the bills, but then for their true gratification, their true satisfaction, personal fulfillment, you know, they are artists, uh, say on the side, uh, moonlighting as artists, they're painting or building or writing to feed their soul. And um, I know you've worked in advertising in Chicago for a long time. I think you're in between gigs right now. And uh, I think you start a new gig on Monday, correct? That is correct. Well, congratulations. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. You're still employable. I, I, it's unbelievable. After all these years, it's clearly hard to believe. Know, clearly, they don't know you as well as I know you. Yeah, I didn't put you down as a reference for specific For a very good reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, smart man, smart man. I always knew you were smarter than me. So, well, congratulations on the new gig. But I know for the last few months uh, in between gigs, you've been uh, passing the time and, and you know, probably a little bit of therapy in terms of, of focusing on your art. And, you know, as I said, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. But the other day, um, I was particularly inspired to make this happen, in part because you were uh, or you are about to start your new job and life's about to get very busy. But also because of a, of a post, you know, that you made on uh, Instagram. And, uh, you know, I've been following you now for a long time. And um, I uh, people can follow you at David R. Scott on Instagram. Yes, indeed. And, you know, watching you post is always fascinating and inspiring because 
you, you're, you're good about documenting uh, your journey as you're learning new tools, new skills, new techniques. And you tend to focus on uh, kind of a project at a time, an object at a time, whether it's a table or a lamp or a box or a chair. But the other day you posted what I'll call kind of a, a collection. Uh, um, you, you posted a, a photograph of a collection of leather goods that you've been uh, making by hand and stitching by hand. And um, it just really inspired me to, you know, get um, pull the microphone out get you on Skype cool. and record this because, you know, there's a story here to tell. And um, we're going to post this image and other images on our website when we post this pod- podcast. But this image was was, you know, a gorgeous photo for all kinds of reasons. Of course, the basic the basic essentials of uh, photography are adhered to here. You know, good lighting, <laughs> good setup, good composition, all those things. But really, at the end of the day, the objects that are um, that you're photographing here are objects that you made by hand, and clearly you've used uh, great care and and detail in their construction, in their fabrication, in their design. And the materials are clearly gorgeous. The leather that you are using here looks flawless and gorgeous and expensive. (laughs) And, you know, and so when I saw this photo, I thought, you know, boy, now's the time for us to hop on the mics here and talk about this journey you've been on as an artist. And, you know, I guess we can start at the beginning because, you know, you've worked with your hands in various ways for a very long time, maybe with a focus in woods and, and with wood objects. But you've gotten into leather now, uh, which I which I find fascinating. So I don't know. Tell me, I mean, why leather? How did you initially decide that you wanted to start uh, stitching leather? Sure. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is a lot of the things that I've been focused on or really interested in making have have spawned and led themselves into other things. For example, you know, pretty early on, I, I uh, uh, shortly after, say, 2014, I started making bushcraft knives. And this came out of an interest of wanting to own one of these things. And I would have bought one. However, they were very expensive. And the waiting list was re- was way too long for my for my uh, for my tolerance. So uh, I started watching some videos online and um, there were a couple of people that uh, uh, that really had some well-documented videos about the process of making one of these. So I, to make a long story short, I kind of, I jumped in and I started trying to, to kind of figure this out. And of course, part of that involves, you know, a, a, a bushcraft knife just isn't a bushcraft knife without a sheath. And so, of course, you know, at, at first I was viewing the sheath as just kind of, you know, a part of this, a part of this project, a leather sheath. But the more I the more I started kind of learning about it, the, the more I realized just what a fantastic art form it is. First off, the material is just this incredibly versatile stuff that 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 can last you know far longer than 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 we will be around. And so it 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 led itself into this whole new avenue of this whole new I guess art form, this whole new medium. So it was a um, uh, it was this. It was this transition, and and I think each one of the things that I've been interested in have just kind of led to something else, and uh, that, so that's kind of that's kind of why I guess leathercraft. It started off kind of utilitarian, and it moved into this um, more of a more of a deep dive into a, into an art form. Would you say your journey in these in these projects, you know, sort of a breadcrumb trail of, of, of things, right? You know, so one thing leads to another, leads to another. And, you know, when you got to, to this idea of making a sheath for the knife, you know, was it, is it, are you driven by a sense of, a sense of challenge or a sense of curiosity or both? I mean, what, what is it about that moment, you know, that really inspires you to take it to the next level? Is it the the feel of the material? Is it just a uh, simple uh, curiosity? I don't know. It's Yeah, it's a couple things. One is, just like with the knife, I think it's two things. One, either I'll see something and think, I really want to have that. Or it's, I really want to learn that. You know, I re- it's, it's kind of one of those two things. Or, I, you know, I have some interest in something. And then as with many things, kind of the more you 
you know, the more you, you, you study it and, and, and look into it and how other people are doing it, kind of the more that desire, for lack of a better word, kind of grows. And, um, you know, so, you know, seeing some of these, seeing some of these various, you know, designs and the craftsmanship of, of some of these various objects, it starts to pull you in. And then like with anything, you, you are challenged with it. You, you make one and you think, Oh, if I could do this again, I would do X, Y, or Z. And, you know, so you, you keep kind of pushing yourself to get it more and more closer to at least, I think your idea of really high quality, like, you know, as close to, to perfection as, as, as you're satisfied with making it. It's interesting. I mean, you know, for, for, for our listeners who are curious about perhaps, you know, uh, trying their hands at leather work, we're going to jump around here a little bit, but you know, every, everybody's process is different. You know, some people go to, you know, YouTube and maybe watch videos about how to get started. Maybe some people go to the bookstore if there is any left and, you know, or Amazon and buy a book and, and read up. What's your process like when you when you bump into something new that you want to that you want that you want to learn that you want to make? Do you where where do you start? I you know thank God for the internet because I mean YouTube has certainly been a really powerful tool. There are I think you know once you start there's obviously for any for any chosen medium there's a million different people that are that are doing it or you know but then you find those one or those one or two individuals that are just like. Yeah, that I, I want to kind of that's what I'm aspiring to, something like that. And they have good content to share. For example, the knife maker that I mentioned, this guy really uh, documented his entire process. By the way, his name is uh, the, the knives that he makes. They're called Jack Lore knives. So shout out to Jack Lore. He, spell, spell, Dave, spell his last name. Uh, well, the the. The spelling of the of the knives is just J A C K L O R E. Got it. Okay. So, but the thing that was great about his work was that he not only documented things very thoroughly, but you really got to watch his entire evolution. You got to see, like, from the very very early stages, he started documenting this, and now he's a, a very highly in demand, and there's a huge waiting list for his work. But like. It was just fascinating to watch his failures and the things that he and he would point out his mistakes and, and things like that. So he was he was very honest in his in his delivery of, of this content. And it was a great deal of information. So, you know, I think that's normally where I'd start. Now, one of the if, if we go way back, in fact, one of the things that I think really helped kind of inspire a lot of this, a lot of this building stuff was when I was in, uh, when I was still in high school, I really wanted to have a, uh, a kayak and they were very expensive for, for somebody who was in ninth grade. And my, uh, my dad said, well, let's, you know, let's, let's build one, let's make one. And, uh, you know, back in the day, that was a matter of going to the library and trying to find, trying to find a book first. That was the big challenge. And once, you know, once you were able to find that, then the kind of moving forward from there and, I think ever since doing that, that was a, that was kind of a, that kind of helped pull me into this, like, oh, I can, I can make this thing, or I, this is something I can do, you know, that I can, I can figure out if I just take the time and, you know, search out the resources. So uh, clearly your dad was a big inspiration. Uh, shout out to Mr. Scott. Um, was he a DIY guy himself? Sounds like he was uh, uh, kind of good, good with his hands as well. I guess growing up, I, it was just kind of a normal thing. You know, there was, there was always some project that was, that was, you know, that was being, that was being created at, at the home, whether it was, you know, building harpsichords or, you know, small. Wait, your dad built a harpsichord. Yeah, he built, he, he built several actually, you Nerd. know, just things like that. And these were, and these were, these were things that I just considered well, like these were normal. This was, you know, cause I, so I kind of took it for granted and I was, really young when some of this was going on but it definitely the uh that i guess that spirit of that mentality really really rubbed off on me and a lot of that was i think for him driven by you know curiosity which he still has a tremendous amount of today just like you know how does this thing work how can i you know how can i create i mean he's He's in his mid seventies and still doing 3D modeling on his computer. So it's 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 pretty fascinating. 
Wow, that's it's uh, pretty. Uh, that's pretty cool that uh, your your dad was, uh, you know, creative uh, and inspired you uh, to be creative as well in such a deep way. Uh, that that's exciting. So clearly, building this kayak was uh, instrumental and a bit of a milestone in your journey as an artist in terms of using your hands to make things. Now, you know, we've sort of referenced, and we'll get back to the leather goods in a second because I want to. You know, there's many objects here that you've you've created, but I don't want to gloss over the fact that you kind of got into this by first starting to make knives. And, you know, that involves metal, that involves wood, that involves any number of uh, techniques and tools. How long were you making knives? I, you know, I, I started doing that, like I said, around around 2014. And I always it, it took me a while to figure out where this real this urge came from. And after thinking about it for a while, you know, my, my career was very digitally centric. And initially in that career, I was, I did have kind of a creative outlet. I was making things. I was doing a lot of animation and, and, and things of that nature. And then I moved kind of into more of a management position and became, you know, less of a doer, I guess. And so there was this hollow space that really needed to be needed to be filled and so that's where this whole knife making journey kind of kind of began and this wasn't a suicide mission was it dave no 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 at least i hope not anyway <laughs> and uh you know the, again the, the funny thing about this is like the knife making led to leather work and then as i started getting what i thought was better at this at this craft i wanted to give some of these things away and uh, to, to people that I was to people that I was close to. And, and of course, you can't just throw in a cardboard box with some newspaper. You've got to you've got to package it. Right. So I started getting these very cheap kind of wine boxes, these wooden wine boxes and stripping them down and, and finishing them and staining them. And then I would package, you know, the, the, the knives and that and then send that out. But I was frustrated with those boxes because it was they weren't they, they were they were kind of just cheaply put together. It was far better than cardboard, but yet still kind of not not what I want. So I thought, you know, I I should be able to make these things. I should be able to to figure this out, and they should have like nice dovetail joints, and they should you know they should be be these beautiful things just to kind of complement this 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 tool. So. So again, from knife making to leather work and then into woodworking. And the initial goal was just to figure out how to make a really nice box. And of course, it blew up into, you know, a whole slew of other things and several thousand dollars in tools and materials. And, you know, but that's just kind of how this journey has has gone. It's been it's been fascinating. So you mentioned tools. Now, one of the things that has struck me about your process is that many of your tools are handmade themselves, right? So to, to just to make this point clear to our listeners, your objects are handmade, but you also hand make the hand tools by which you make your objects. Do I well, have that right? It, not necessarily, not entirely. Like the tools are all hand tools. So like I, there's something about the prop, for example, with woodworking, I, I do have a few, uh, a few power tools for, for, you know, bigger repetitive tasks, but but ninety percent of the tools that I use are hand tools. So it's a it's a slower process. It's a more kind of a quiet process because because for me, I think the the joy comes from from building it. It's worth mentioning. Like I'm not mass producing these things and and selling them. Um, these are these are you know each one is kind of its own individual thing. So. So really, you know, kind of enjoying that journey, that process of, of slowing down a little bit and kind of really, it, it gives you an opportunity to put your hands on the material versus just letting a machine do, you know, do some of that work, whether it's the, whether it's the woodworking or the leatherworking or whatnot. Okay. Okay. Got that. Now with the knives, however, I mean, you, and, and by the way, I want to point out, I happen to be one of those lucky recipients who got a gorgeous knife as a gift. So many thanks for that, uh, sir. It's just sitting a few feet away from me right now. I look at it often. It's a, it's a gorgeous uh, piece of art. And, but it's a combination of 
of woods and metals and things. And so I'm sure our listeners think that you may also be a blacksmith where you're, you know, pounding out these blades uh, yourself. Is that what you're doing? How are you, how are you getting the blades? The blades I'm not, I'm actually, I'm actually purchasing the blanks of the blades. So it's, it's definitely, it's funny. Knife makers is, is, that might be, that might be a, a bit of an over-exaggeration. I, I, I kind of a knife finisher, I guess. So I'm almost afraid to get into blacksmithing only because, again, each one of these interests has has pulled me into the rabbit hole of of time and money, and you know, and it's they've all been been fascinating. But uh, blacksmithing is a whole other is a whole other uh, skill set that I think is is fascinating but it's it's definitely it's another deep well that you can jump into i'm sure your wife would love it if she came home one day only to find you uh working as a blacksmith in the garage yeah my neighbors would love it the the, the sound (laughs) of that that hammer hitting the anvil they used to work so quietly yeah right 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 just what, the, my, what has happened? <laughs> right, right. So, well, that's really cool. So you're able to buy these blanks that you're then able to sort of, I guess, sharpen in shape or shape and sharpen in the way that you want. And then you make the handles and you assemble, you know, the pieces and fasten everything together. And, you know, and again, these photos will be on our website for people to see these gorgeous knives that you make. So then you find yourself wanting to make a sheath for the knife. And then that led you down this uh, journey uh, into leather goods. So it sounds like the the leather sheath for the knife was perhaps the first leather good object that you fabricated. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it um, you know, again, kind of watching uh, some other makers up on YouTube that are, that are creating some of these things, some other artists, um, it was definitely a, a kind of a hit or miss journey. There, there were, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of waste in the beginning, just trying to kind of figure out how to do this. And it's, you know, especially when you're, when you're hand stitching some of this stuff, it, it just the art of stitching alone, you, you can, you can very quickly tell when, when a leather product has been hand stitched versus machine stitched so it's 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 a it's a beautiful skill just in and of itself let alone you know the 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 final end product so you know making making sheaths um was there there was definitely an evolution in fact i i kept I, i made several kind of i guess molded carriers for a Leatherman tool that I have. And I kept each one of them. And so I have the the very first one that I made, and I think I'm on version six or seven now. And it's just fascinating to look at these things because you you could just see this progression kind of uh, take place over time. It's, it's, it's it's, It's pretty incredible. So what is the kind of hallmark telltale sign of machine stitching over hand stitching? Is it so obvious that one is probably more elegant than the other? Like what if I was looking at something, you know, hand stitched versus machine stitched, what might jump out at me? I think the first thing that you'll notice, and, and usually it's not, it's definitely something that, that people that are familiar with leather working can recognize pretty quickly. I think the, the most obvious is usually a, a machine stitched product will the, the stitching will just pretty much be in a straight line whereas a hand stitch product because you're you're what's called saddle stitching you're essentially you're, you're essentially kind of interlocking the threads with each stitch so this will have kind of more of a zigzag type of a of a pattern and it's it so you'll notice you'll notice two things if you're if you're buying a handmade leather product certainly you'll notice it in the price <laughs> and if you're uh if you're just kind of looking at it at a glance you'll notice it in that zigzag type of pattern and then if you have if you have any doubts just look at the price mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. the price will the price will definitely let you know that this is a, a handmade you know hand stitched product yeah, right do you, uh, kind of a random question but off the top of your head you know can you Think of any brands that are out there that people might find in a on Michigan Avenue in Chicago or at a, at a fancy store that is kind of famous for hand stitched leather goods. I mean, sure. yeah. What what are some of those brands? Well, like, I mean, I guess it depends on 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 what your kind of range looks like. Certainly, you know, companies like Hermes and and some of these other ones. I mean, you know, the, the their some of their hand stitched bags go for 
you know, $13,000. I mean, they're yeah. just, you know, they're, they're, they're crazy. There are some other ones. There are a couple of companies out of, out of, out of England that, that, uh, that make a few, though I'm not sure they'd, they'd be as readily, you know, available as, as. What about brands or companies like Filson? Are their products hand stitched? No, definitely machine stitched, but you know, there's, there's nothing to, it's, it's not to certainly not to take anything away from from something that's been machine stitched. I think hand stitched, you know, like especially bigger products like bags and things like that that are that that have a heftier price tag. I think the people that are interested in those are 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 very much leather fine. You know, they're 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 very much focused on that specialty aficionados. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there's that doesn't take away from the craft or the beauty of. A machine sure. stitch product it's that one kind of separation for the i prefer robot stitching myself. yes yes you know, exactly yes. all right so the hand stitching is is key in terms of you know part of the process and learning um you know how to go about the, about this thing so the the sheath was like one of the first products uh, first leather good products that you made after you sort of got to a point where you felt like okay i can make a sheath i do it well kind of mastered this. Uh, what was the next leather good object that you wanted to tackle? Well, the, the weird thing is, is, I guess, kind of creative outlets for me, they, they come and go. So like, you know, as soon as I, as soon as I started playing around with some woodworking things, the knife making took a back seat, as did the leather work. So I got, you know, I started deep diving into, into woodworking and working with different kinds of woods, et cetera. But then, you know, after doing that for a while, then, you know, maybe I'll see something online or I'll, um, I'll be curious about, you know, about some element of some, you know, skill and then away we'll go again. So with leather work, for example, that's kind of what happened. It was very much woodworking. And then I, I stumbled upon, and I can't even remember the name of the, of the link or why I was even there, but uh, somebody was making um, wallets. It fascinated me only because, you know, you would you would think with with size comes ease. So you would think, you know, bigger, like a bag or something like that would be really complicated, and something small like a wallet would be really easy. And wallets are really tricky to make, at least to do to do it cleanly. Now, it, you know, it's fair to say that I, I'm no, uh, I'm still relatively new to the to the craft so i'm i'm sure as time goes on it, it it becomes easier but you're working with really really thin leather sometimes less than a millimeter thick and so to to not kind of pull or misshape or mar or you know the leather itself it's it's a really it's a it's a really tricky tricky thing to do so uh that's where that's where leather working kind of moved into this next step because everything I'd done prior to that was just with very thick leather and it was very, you know, everything was kind of, kind of beefy and heavy. And so I started moving into some of these other products. So it, it was kind of she's, and then it was kind of like journal covers and, and, you know, smaller kind of leather goods. And then kind of into some wallets and things like that. And, and then more recently, uh, you know, like a briefcase and just kind of jumping around and trying to explore different products and different techniques to make those products. So would you say that some of these products were chosen because you wanted to kind of go deep on a particular kind of technique? So it's like, oh, I want to learn this technique. Therefore, making wallets will force me to focus on those techniques. Yeah, definitely. The, right. the wallets, the wallets, definitely. That was definitely the step with the, with the briefcase. It was more of a, oh man, I really, I really want to make one of those. After seeing a couple of these, you know, very classic English briefcases, really simple, uh, beautiful designs, but not, not with a bunch of stuff kind of hanging off of them. Uh, that was more of a, oh my God, I, I, just became really inspired by the product itself and really wanted to, wanted to make one for, for myself. And, and, you know, so some of that was, I want to learn these techniques. And another part of that was, I really want one of those. It's cool. You know, it's just a cool thing. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And frankly, I don't even know if it's something that I would, I would use every day, but it's just this great, 
it's just this, it's just this great challenge to, to, to create this, to this thing. Right. So the, of all the techniques that you've learned working in leather goods to date, you know, talk about like one of the hardest techniques that you had to learn. I don't even know if it's a, a technique necessarily as it is a, a practice. And that is just keeping, keeping the leather itself from becoming scarred or stained or any of it like throughout the process, especially with a really long build. It's, it's very hard to keep things clean. It's a lot harder than you would think. And it's, it also becomes more, more difficult depending on the kind of leather that you're, that you're working with. Some leathers are kind of really susceptible to that. Some are less so. I think that's a, it's a really, it's a really big thing. Some of these guys that are, that are, you know, making wallets or, or, you know, fine leather goods, they're, I mean, they're, they're kind of, they're in white gloves when they're, they're working. So they're not kind of staining their work along the way. And, and I haven't quite gone to those lengths yet, but, but maybe, maybe someday. And then, you know, there's a few other things I've taken kind of for granted, um, but just something as simple as just cutting leather. You know, there's a real, leather is a stretchy, bendy uh, material that for, you know, to, so to cut a nice, clean 90 degree angle on a piece of leather, you have to think about it. Whereas with wood, it's, it's, there's still challenges there, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's much more rigid. Therefore it, it, you know, you don't have to worry about it bending or, or flexing so that it, you know, that your nice straight line ends up becoming a big kind of a curved line. So some real, I think some of the more simple things that you wouldn't think of are, are, are things that can be challenging depending on, on what you're working with. So it sounds like, uh, with the leather cutting leather, it's a, uh, well, it sounds like it's a way more challenging than cutting wood in some ways because it's so pliable or so uh, flexible, a lot of give and take in leather, I guess. Would you say that cutting leather, it's different every time because, you know, leather's different every time? Or would you say that cutting leather becomes easier the more you do it, no matter the leather? I, right? I so it's kind of a feel, right? Yeah, I, well, I think... It's and again, it's it's not so much that it's that it's hard. It's just something that really, every time you do it, you need to be conscious of the action of doing it. Because if you if you try to do it quickly, or if you're not paying attention to it, you won't end up with a with a nice clean line, or maybe your line will kind of bevel in or out. So, you know, kind of keeping everything you know sharp and square you just have to pay attention to it. So mm -hmm. there's definitely some leathers that are, that you, it's not a big concern, certainly the, the heavier weighted leathers and, and things like that. So, but again, it's just, it's just something that, that I never really considered certainly being a woodworker. Uh, I never considered like, Oh, this could be a potential challenge. And when you buy an expensive piece of leather and you, you go slicing through it, you know, it, it definitely, there have been a few times where I've, I've either the, the, the end product has been smaller <laughs> or, uh, or I've, I've had some, some waste just because, you know, those, those lines weren't sharp and therefore you could, you know, end up with something that's crooked or it doesn't match up. What kind of knife or blade are you using to cut the leather? I'm using a, um, as with, as with any crap, there's, there's a multitude of, of tools out there. So, and I've seen several, I, you know, if, if there's a lot of, if there's a lot of curved work and it's really thin leather, I'll, I'll use something really fine, almost like a, like an X-Acto knife. If it's heavier leather, I'll use something like a utility knife. Now it's fair to say that that could be part of my, that's probably part of the, the issue that I'm having because there are knives that are very specifically made for, for cutting leather. There's a, you know, a, a big curved, uh, like a half moon shaped knife. There's, you know, there's all kinds of, obviously all kinds of different tools, but, um, I think even with those, you still have to pay attention to the fact that this is a potentially a stretchy or kind of material that could, that could shift and move around on you as you're, as you're trying to slice through it. So Sounds like this is quite a, a nice meditation as well as you're working, as you're sort of forced to be present, you're forced to be mindful. To me, I think that's probably at least half of why I do 
all of these things. I, I like the process of this weird evolution, whereas initially it becomes, it, it's all about thinking about the steps, thinking through how something needs to be done and kind of the challenges because you have to train your hands you have to train your you know your 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 eye in terms of if i'm working with wood and my when i cut through a piece of wood and i'm i'm doing it by hand is is the straight cut is it is it parallel is it perpendicular all of these things so yeah there's that part of really learning the process but then once you get to a point where it's almost where that muscle memory kicks in then you enter this this really beautiful space of like of going into that zone where whereby you I know a project is really good if I'm forgetting to eat or forget you know like like I have to remind myself like hey man you got to eat something like, you know it's, it's like you need to stop and put some put or or you need to sleep sure um, because you you get caught in the zone and time just becomes irrelevant at that point and you you really get lost in it. So it's an interesting place to go. So you've referenced materials many times uh, already, right? We've talked about, uh, obviously, the leather. We've talked about, we've referenced wood. We've talked about, um, you know, the blanks that you're buying, the metal blanks you're buying for uh, your knives. I remember reading uh, an article uh, years ago, um, interview with this uh, famous industrial designer. And he was talking about how for him, uh, his name's Mark Newsom, uh, the, um, uh, Australian, uh, designer. He's, uh, been incredibly prolific over the years designing, you know, everything from watches to boats, to, you know, buildings, to, uh, headphones. I mean, you name it. And, but he, in this interview was talking about for him as a designer, as an industrial designer, it always starts with the materials. And he was talking about how in his studio he has a table that is just piled, fill, you know, just, just full, a big pile of material and materials. And he was talking about how it's kind of this sacred zone where no one really but him and maybe a couple of other, you know, special people are able to go and touch the, the objects on the table because you know, whether it's fabrics or leathers or metals or God knows what synthetics, what have you. Um, for him, he's, you know, he's he's always curious about materials because it, it for him, it always starts with the material and what's appropriate for that material, what the projects he gets, what kind of materials uh, will help solve those briefs, you know, so on and so forth. You know, and the old adage about garbage in, garbage out. Um you have referenced materials several times yourself. I've seen many of your pieces. I own several of your pieces, thanks to your generosity. And, you know, one of the things that's always struck me is that your materials, whether it's the wood or the leather, always looks amazing, feels great to the hand. You know, there's a kind of inherent quality that exudes, you know, from your object. So, Talk a little bit about your process in terms of sourcing materials, how you go about finding those suppliers, testing those materials, because at least the, the many of the objects that I'm aware of looks like you put a premium on the material that you're using. Let's just be fair here, because I, I, I put a... I put a premium on the the people that I'm giving those things to because it's like I know if this is going to to sourdough power like this better be good because it's good you know I'm right it better be good he's going to be paying close attention that's not to say he's going to be scrutinizing but he's going to be very much aware of of you know how how well these things are put together and how they you know so so yeah but I I um woodworking is a really good example of this like the first things I started making were just with regular domestic hardwood. So your oak, uh, maple, you know, walnut, just, just things that you could pretty easily lay your hand on. And then I started learning about more exotic woods and I became intrigued and I thought, well, you know, I wonder what, how this wood behaves, how it, how it, how it works. And so I decided to do a, a bit of a study whereby I would make just a very simple cube shaped box and i would i would just the dimensions and everything would be the same for for every one that i make but i would make them out of as many different woods as i could as i could you know as i could muster and uh just to 
just to learn a little bit about the wood itself and how it behaves and how it how it moves over time and how it cuts and how it how it planes and and it was really fascinating to to, to kind of you know because obviously you know the colors the textures the the grain patterns the you know all of these parameters are, are dramatically different for for each one and so you you know despite the fact that the boxes the end result was always the same you know the behaviors of those things are can be in some cases really dramatically different something like you know like a like a purple heart or something like that i mean when you put your hand tools on it despite the fact that you sharpen those tools you know religiously i mean it just it dulls them almost immediately like it's such a it's such a complicated grain pattern that's in there so uh, whereas other woods just they they just it's almost like they're begging to be to be worked something like a, a walnut or a you know mahogany or something like that just really accepts you know like hand tools and and and, and being worked by hand so it, it it's fascinating and I'm I'm in that same area I think right now with with my interest in leather work just because obviously there's a whole plethora of, of different types of leather that you can work with from from you know uh, all different types of tanneries all around the world and most of the stuff that I began working with was very much domestic putting that in air quotes but now I'm just kind of experimenting with different leathers from Italy or France or or you know Japan like it's fascinating to because these materials are, are very there's similarities in terms of, of their their basic structure, but there's they're, they're drastically different in the way that they're processed and tanned and, and things like that. So it's 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 really interesting to what you learn along the way working with some of these different things. I really prefer pleather. Are you doing anything with pleather? Yes. yes. Actually, rich Corinthian leather is my. <laughs> <laughs> That's your specialty? That's right. Good, good, good. I'm glad. I know, I know where to go. So, but you, I want to go back to, you said something very fascinating. You, you mentioned this wood. I think you called it purple something. Mm-hmm. Purple what? heart. Purple yeah. heart. Okay. Yes fascinating uh, name for wood purple yes. heart and you said that it is the, the grain is so complex that it, it almost automatically dulls uh, your tools as you're trying to cut into it tell me more about this purple heart wood well it, it's it, it is in fact a, a kind of a purplish color when you when you first get it it, it does have a maybe a little more on the red side but it, but it does have a purplish color and over time it, it, it becomes uh, kind of a really rich, more of a reddish uh, rust color. The, the the grain is is a crisscross grain. So it, it um, whereas most grain kind of lies in one direction and moves in one direction, this is this more often than not is a bit more cross. So so when you push, for example, a hand plane over it, in in some cases it will it will you'll get a nice smooth clean cut in others it will it will just chatter and and really fight back and um uh it's it's a very it can be a very stubborn wood although it's a very beautiful wood it's really it's pretty uh dense and heavy stuff so it's it's tricky to uh it was tricky for me anyway to 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 work with where does it grow I believe it's a. I believe it is an African hardwood, but I could I could be wrong. There could be. It's one of two things: is African or it's South American. You know, those are usually the when you're buying exotic woods. Those are usually the first two places that you know that you're that you're finding those woods. Africa. Some of the woods from Africa are just remarkable. I mean, they're they're you know the, the variety, I guess, of 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 wood and the the denseness of some of this wood, you know, things like, for example, with some of the knife handles, using something like an African black wood. I mean, this this wood is is so dense that it will sink in water. I've seen it uh, spark when when profiling it on my on my belt sander. It's 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 incredible stuff. It's and it's absolutely black. I mean, it's there might be some purple or you know some other colors in there, but it's just this beautiful rich 
dense wood. I mean, it's one of the top, I think, 10 hardest woods that are that are out there. It's the only wood that doesn't burn. (laughs) It's so dense, it it won't burn. It's it's fascinating stuff. So it's, you know, the 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 process of kind of learning about some of these different things is 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 pretty incredible. Right, right. I hear I hear our friend in the background sounds like uh, somebody's uh, begging for attention. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm guessing there's a there's a you know a leaf blowing across the yard or something. something <laughs> exactly. Yes. So now, when one wants to buy, you know, purple heartwood, do you go to purpleheart.com? I mean, where do you even go to get these exotic uh, woods from Africa or South America? I'm guessing there's a uh, website for this. Well. Yeah, there there is definitely a lot of the stuff that I make because of, because of the fact that it's smaller. It's you know I, I I make a lot of boxes and things like that. So I'm a lot of the wood that I will purchase. Um, I one of my favorite online retailers is called Okuch O C O C O O C H. I believe Okuch Hardwoods. And they have a they have a really good cross section of both domestic and exotic woods, and they're very they come to you already very well dimensioned. So you're not having to do a lot of you know planning or or, or you know dimensioning of, of of the wood itself. They're very processed, I guess, in that uh, in that manner. I think for woodworking, you know, you're you're. Your best bet is to, if at all possible, find um, a local, you know, or outsource a local uh, mill or or somebody who does a lot of milling. It, it just so happens that my my brother's father-in-law does, you know, mills a lot of hardwood lumber. So if a, if a tree falls down, he, he he will go pick it up and and, and mill it into into. Uh, into usable, you know, material. And uh, so I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time going over there and, and just picking through his, uh, his, his pile. He's been really generous. And plus you're, you're, you're going to end up with a, a much better price versus going to sure. like a big box store or something like that, where you can't find that stuff, but it's, it's really expensive. Well, so let's talk about the leather you use for a moment, because one of the notice, one of the uh, images I noticed on your Instagram uh, a while back, or actually maybe you just texted me this photo, but it was um, you had purchased this leather and you had had it sort of laid out uh, in a room, I guess, in your home, and you had photographed this leather to sort of one big long yeah. piece of leather, yes. and it was just stunning. I mean, just the, the 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 photo of the leather itself was just it just was gorgeous. And this very rich, uh, warm, you know, color sure. uh, of the material. Uh, where do you source your leather? How did you find uh, this gorgeous uh, uh, leather uh, to work with? Well, that, that's a, that's a, a, there's a tannery here in the States, I believe in Pennsylvania called Wicket and Craig. And, uh, you know, there's a couple here, Halloween, Wicket and Craig that, that are, that are just kind of the go-tos, at least here in the States. Um, Wicket and Craig is really known for their extremely high quality bridal and English bridal leathers. Um, and I, in the interest of uh, making a making a briefcase, the, these things are almost almost always made with with you know English bridal or bridal leather, and uh, so I thought I uh, I need to go to the to the one place that really you know that really specializes in that, and it was the first time I bought something of that size. It was almost uh, I think it was like twenty five square feet. Of of leather of eight ounce leather, which is like three millimeters thick, thick heavy stuff. And uh, the the nice thing about their company is they will allow you to buy you know smaller quantities, smaller as opposed to you've got to buy you know uh, you know sides in in bulk. It's called a side. What I what I purchased. Um, so that that's usually my go to for for. Or it will be anyway for any English bridal or, or things like that. And that's what I made that that briefcase and that kind of collection that I had that all came from that from that that piece of uh, that piece of leather. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must give your um, it must give you a peculiar feeling to you know uh, purchase such a gorgeous and expensive piece of leather and then have to cut it up. It's terrifying. It, 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 I, I, it took me a really a long time to, especially because it was a new project that I'd never worked on. So like I wasn't. I, I mean, I had a good idea of of what I needed. I had a you know good idea of how much I needed. But, um, uh, yeah, so, so slicing into that is, is a, it's, you have to almost commit to it. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a scary process, certainly. Well, the only thing, or one of the things that, uh, I understand cuts better, uh, than leather more easily than leather is human flesh. Have you ever had a, a, a an accident? In I've the never, shop? I've never had a problem, Scott. I've never Never had. Wow, any. then you must not be a, a real professional. No, no, I, I, I certainly did. In fact, the the night I decided to cut into that leather, I, uh, I was, I, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm finally committing to this to this process. And so I was in the garage and I was doing something else, but really my 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 mind was on the process of kind of slicing this up and getting this thing ready to go. And uh, and I was. Uh, cutting uh, something else and i yeah i took a i took a really a lovely bite right out of my right out of my my finger which kind of which kind of derailed my my working for the for the for the night so uh luckily it wasn't too bad but uh, it was and it was just a stupid stupid you know it was just it was i was rushing and it was dumb and i you know i i cursed myself afterward because i was i was pissed that i that i kind of you know, was that, was that kind of careless, but. So yeah. you, so you are professional. That's good. I, yeah. I, Cause I don't trust anybody that hasn't actually uh, cut themselves uh, for their arts or, or injured themselves for their art. Sacrifice. You got to sacrifice. You got to, you know, blood, sweat, sure. tears, man, especially I, blood. Either, either you don't eat or you don't sleep or you cut your fingers <laughs> off. You know, right. Or, you know, it could have been an ear, but I guess I stuck with my thumb. So. <laughs> well, and it sounds like it could have been worse. Sounds like you got off lucky. Uh, all things considered, but isn't that fascinating, right? I mean, you 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 fully admit it's like, look, I wasn't paying attention. Like, no, definitely was not. <laughs> you know, my dad mentioned to me, he's like, no, I, you know, ever since I ever since I did that, and of course I, I did, I had to share some some pictures of the of the of the wound, which was which was pretty gross. You know, anytime after, he's like, no, look, you be careful when you're cutting, and I, it it always frustrates me because it's like I'm extremely careful, like I, you know. I'm I'm careful because for the reasons I mentioned before, like, you know, you have to really think about those cuts. And, uh, but this was doing, a doing, you know, something prior to really needing to be careful. So I was rushing through it and, and off with your, off with your, the tip of your finger and away you go. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, you know, it grows back. Or, yeah, or does it? You it's, know, it's on there. It's it, I, I think it's fine. It's a little misshapen, but it's it's all good. It's all yeah. good. Well, this will be part of your legend, part of your lore, part of your uh, your story you uh, for for history to uh, to recount. So okay, so uh, from what I gather, we've made knives, we've made lamps, uh, we've made uh, uh, wallets, uh, we've made bags. We've made, uh, did I say boxes and knives? I mean, what's next for David Ryan Scott? You know, I don't know. I've, I've had, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of people that tell me, and it's a weird subject for me. Like you, you really need to, to start selling these things. You really need to, you know, to, to make a business out of this or to, and it's a scary thing for me only because I, I, you know, right now it's a, it's very much a passion project or projects and, you know, kind of trying to figure out a way to, to sell these things or, or to, to do that. I, I'm not sure it's, um, I'm not, I, I'm not sure that's the, that's the, the, the right way to go. First off it, it, you know, because of the time that I spend making these, I mean, you know, I'm not sure how, how necessarily, how, how, how profitable that would be in the long run. And, um, and also, you know, I don't want to steal the the joy I get from from making these things by turning it into work. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, don't turn your passion into a into a job. Yeah, yeah. I've done that in the past. It, it never works out quite the way you hope. Right, right. So it's it's 
I get it, but it's like you know the, these uh, these things take a lot of a lot of a lot of time and care, and I, I I think I get frankly more joy out of giving them to giving some of these things to people that I know will really appreciate them and really find good use for them, and I I like that I li- I like doing that. So for me, it's you know a lot of it is about learning the skill. It's about having something tangible versus something uh, digital that I, you know, that I'm, I'm used to in my work life. Uh, at the at the end of the day, having something tangible that I can look at and I can hold and I can kind of critique. That's that's I get a lot of um, I get a lot of, of of reward from that. Well, and this and this is why I call you an artist because you know artists create you know one of a kind unique, rare, uh, original, uh, works of art. They don't mass produce, uh, art. No, sometimes they make prints and sometimes they make, you know, copies or whatever for various reasons. But most artists create an original piece of art and sell it and then move on to the next collection of work. Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of what you're doing. You're making these very, you know, specific one-off works of art. And uh, you're, you know, for you, your motivation is is, is more spiritual than than commercial, which uh, I think is uh, is a is a is, is rare these days, and is a is an important and beautiful uh, notion. Yeah. And uh, you know that's why you know I think of you as an artist. Do you think of yourself as an artist? I well, I I really I, I appreciate that, and I, I I don't know. I mean, I I think I think at the end of the day, the some of the things that I I'm I'm making, I'm creating are, are very beautiful, like pieces that I, that I would consider art. So I guess in that respect to, to a certain level, yes, I, I, I would say that I would say that I am, I, I don't view the, the, the craft or the processes as, as being so much art as it is just being this, this interest or this curiosity in this particular skill or technique or you know, I, I I really enjoy kind of learning about some of the, especially some of these older techniques. You know, like when I started doing woodworking, the the discovery of hand tools was this fascinating thing. When I, I I saw somebody using a hand plane, I thought, well, here's this tool that's like certainly we have more efficient, fast tools out there to do this one specific thing, and yet. Uh, and so I, I went out and I bought one and I thought, well, I've got to try it and see how it goes. And I bought a really cheap one, which almost scared me away from doing it because it was awful. It didn't work. It didn't, you know, despite sh- sharpening it and setting it up right, it, it sucked. It, did, it just didn't do the job. And, but when I bought one that was better, you know, it still wasn't like the best, but when I bought one that was better and I got it dialed in and all of a sudden I discovered like, just how magical these things are. Like they're just, they're incredible tools in the precision and the, the efficiency and the, you know, like what you're able to do with, uh, with them. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. And, you know, cutting miters with a, with a, with a hand plane. I mean, the, the, the accuracy that you can get is, is second none. It's just absolutely perfect when you, when you have it set up right, and uh, you know, you could still come very close. I think with with power tools, but I don't think you can. I mean, with, with a hand tool, you're talking about shaving off things that you could measure with a micrometer. You know, like just these just these wisps of of wood to to really dial things in and get it perfect. So I, I let off on a tangent there, but yeah, the the tools, the techniques, and the process. I think. Those are the things that really, really pull me into into some of these these crafts, I guess, these 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 arts. Would you say so you just completed this briefcase, uh, which feels like the, you know, kind of crown jewel of this, you know, leather goods collection that you've been working on. And as represented in your Instagram post that I mentioned, do you have a sense of where you go from here? Are you going to continue to make leather goods? Are you going to pivot into a, a new kind of material? Well, the the briefcase was the the first. It was the first bigger project that I've ever done working with leather. And I uh, 
I definitely want to build a few more of those because there's a lot that I learned. And there's obviously a lot of different styles that you can that you can make with those. So it it uh, you know I, I'm I'm eager to kind of continue doing some of that. And as far as where things go, I mean I I really can't say. It's it's I finally succumbed to the fact that this, if, if you want to call it a journey, has has really is it's it's unpredictable it just you know so so one day it's it's wood and 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 one day it's it's leather and one day it's working with stone and one you know i mean like all these different things that that just kind of spark spark an interest and a curiosity and uh so i it's it's really hard to predict where that where that may may lead well, I look forward to hearing more about your journey and where it all leads uh, moving forward. Uh, will you come back and tell us uh, uh, more about uh, uh, the, the exciting projects that you work on in the future? Uh, most definitely. I will, uh, I will try not to cut my fingers off so I can continue to, uh, you know, to play with some of these things. And uh, I'd love to come back always. Well, you know what? The more limbs you lose, the more interesting the story. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, don't don't be shy, you know, <laughs> but be strategic. Don't That's cut right. off a finger that you really need. Exactly. And uh, but, you know, I'm I'm very grateful for you taking uh, time out today, uh, David, to come and share with our listeners uh, your passion and your work, uh, because uh, as our listeners will see uh, when they look at the images posted on our website, that clearly your attention to detail, your level of, of, of passion and, and love um, that goes into your work, it's bar none, really, you know, in terms of it, it speaks for itself in terms of excellence, your attention to detail. Uh, I think it's safe to say you you know, are definitely anal retentive, type A, uh, <laughs> obsessive compulsive. <laughs> what other mental illnesses uh, it takes for artists to do great work? Uh, you apparently have them all. I don't know. It's beautiful yeah, I stuff. That. I appreciate that, especially coming from you. I would know, you know, about, uh, you know, about crazy, but um, you're crazy good uh, when it comes to this, uh, the, this, amazing uh, works of art that, that you make. Uh, I know I enjoy uh, the objects you've sent me. Um, they're around my office. I have a couple of lamps. I have uh, boxes. I have knives. Uh, I have arrowheads. My God, we didn't even talk about uh, your uh, passion for hand yes. uh, making arrowheads. Yes. In fact, funny story. And, and, and true. So I'm. You, you can see me on Skype. You can see where I'm sitting at my desk. Okay. So I'm going to reach out of the camera view. Okay. I'm going to put my hand, I'm not getting up. It's literally on my desk. I'm picking up this yes. box that you sent me. Okay. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to open up this box. Okay. And in this box, and I'm telling the story because, um, for our listeners, because, um, Dave sent me a gorgeous object that he made. And, um, I, you know, to thank him, uh, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a. I don't make. Uh, I don't make leather goods, but I drank a lot of whiskey. And <laughs> Johnny Walker Blue is one of my favorite, uh, you know, drinks. And so I sent David a, a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue to thank him for this uh, gorgeous uh, artwork that he made for me and sent to me. And so David not only promptly. Uh, drank the uh, whiskey as any good uh, friend will do, but then he he promptly turned around and sent me back a gift of arrowheads crafted out of blue glass. <laughs> and, uh, I I will post these on the website as well. But he literally took the bottle that I sent him, uh, drank it, and then proceeded to break it and make uh, arrowheads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out of glass. Funny. It sounds so funny when you when you tell it in that fashion. Yeah, it's weird. It, it, it is, and I have these 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 handmade arrowheads uh, crafted out of uh, blue glass uh, uh, from a Johnny Walker blue bottle. 
Uh, and they're just gorgeous. And they sit on my desk right here in this box that you sent me. And uh, it's just uh, gives me a lot of uh, joy and satisfaction uh, having this here. But that, that's the kind of artist uh, that you are. And, uh, and that's why I appreciate you being on the show, because uh, you see things, you see uh, opportunities where most people just see, uh, you know, empty bottles. And yeah. uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very uh, it's a very unique gift. And uh, I'm just grateful you took time to share with us today, Mr. Scott. Sure. Good luck on your uh, journey next week. I understand you're starting a new gig, so best of luck there. Should be good. We'll see how it goes. Excellent. Well, have a fantastic weekend and uh, come back and see us. Always, always. Thank you much, Scott. Be well. Over okay. and out. Cheers. 